Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast with a couple pastors, scholars, jumping into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all and equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary and Wesleyan University. My guest this week is David Drury. Uh, David is chief of staff for the Wesleyan Church and is my elder brother and a great uh, preacher and student of the word. And I've been uh, really excited to have him on now for a second time to discuss a passage that is uh, near and dear to his heart. And it was really great to have him on. Uh, our text this week is First uh, Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. First Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice and pass this show along in a text or an email or on social media to your friends so that they let, let them know um, and can benefit from the show as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Dave Drury. Well, shall we? Yep. Let's do this. First Samuel 16, uh, verses 1 through 13. Okay, let's, uh, will you read the passage and I'll say a word of prayer and then we'll jump in? Yeah, sure. All right. First Samuel 16, 1 through 13. And the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to grieve over Saul when I have cast him aside from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have seen me among his sons a king. And Samuel said, How can I go? For should Saul hear, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and you will say, To sacrifice to the Lord I have come. And you will invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I myself shall let you know what you must do, and you will anoint me the one that I say to you. And Samuel did what the Lord had spoken, and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town came trembling to meet him, and they said, Do you come in peace? And he said, In peace, to sacrifice to the Lord I have come. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And Jesse purified his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And it happened when they came that he saw Eliab and he said, oh yes, before the Lord stands his anointed. And the Lord said to Samuel, look not to his appearance and to the lofty stature, for I have cast him aside. For not as a man sees does God see. For man sees with the eyes and the Lord sees with the heart. And Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, this one too, the Lord has not chosen. And Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, this one too, the Lord has not chosen. And Jesse made his seven sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are there not more lads? And he said, the youngest is still left. And look, he is tending the flock. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit to eat until he comes here. And he sent and brought him. And he was ruddy with fine eyes and goodly to look at. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord gripped David from that day onward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Lord, bless the reading of his word. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we ask that your word would come among us, not only in talk, but in power. May your word by which you created all things, the word by which you spoke to and through Samuel, the word by which this text 
was inspired and the word that became flesh in Jesus Christ. We ask that we would encounter this word through our conversation this hour. We ask this not only for our David and myself, uh, but for all those listening in separated by time and space. And we dare to ask that your word would then be preserved and empowered by your spirit, the spirit that hovered over the waters, the spirit that fell upon David after he was anointed, the spirit that preserved this text through the ages in the people of God, the spirit that came upon your son Jesus in his baptism by which he was conceived and by which he was raised from the dead. It fell upon the church as the church then discerned to receive this text as its own. May your word and spirit be moving among us today. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. So just the initial, uh, initial observations. What's striking you today afresh about this text? Hmm. Hmm. So I love how Samuel looks at Eliab and, it, and it's just that, you know, judges a book by his cover. <laughs> and he immediately looks to him. And, uh, and thinks, okay, this is the Lord's anointed, just based on a glance. Doesn't even know him, has never talked to him, and in a way made a similar mistake. He didn't learn his mistake from Saul, because Saul's <laughs> head and yes. shoulders taller than everybody else. And so Samuel just goes looking for another tall guy. So this is a great, great, great passage for all the short men out there. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, that, that, you know, oh, of course, Samuel just goes. Against. So that, that jumps out at me. And even though the word, how often it says the word see or look, it is ah. probably the most common word. I, I bet it's six or eight times that word is in there. It'd be interesting to do the original look at it on how many times uh, you know, see or look is used, you know, the guy. And then of course the, the crux of that is where man sees the outward or looks at the outward appearance, but God sees the heart into the heart or with God's heart one way or the other. I don't know which way it is in the original, but you know, that God sees the heart or he sees with his heart one way or the other. And one, mm. you know, that, that that's probably the most powerful passage, of course, that's repeated again in the New Testament. So yeah, those are the things yeah. that jump out fastest. Yeah, we might come back to that that seeing business. Um, that's, that's really good, especially because there was one thing that it's so good to read in community, even just in a community of two. And I recommend this to our listeners too, to, to read out loud sometimes when you're by yourself as well as listening like with Bible app and such, there are just things that your mind, uh, because we've been trained with our eyes to treat certain phrases, especially repetition to treat it as yada, yada, and then move on, right. you know, whereas when it's, when it's read aloud and you hear it, it starts to penetrate as like thematic. Right. True. And since these texts would have been for most of their history only heard, and by only a tiny portion of the population would have ever read them. And even the one reading would have been focusing on the pronunciation for the listener, even in... They're performing you know, it. They're not even... Exactly, exactly. Yeah, right. so, so the emergence of private study of the text, it does exist, but as the dominant form is, is pretty much a modern reality as being dominant experience. So it's so helpful. Any regular listener to this podcast has heard me say that a thousand times, but I don't care. I'm going to keep saying it. But it's so fun to hear, like, what I love hearing someone else, like, read a text. They're going to choose a different translation than I am, like you just did. What What did you use? I, I didn't. That's altars. I, you know, Psalms ah, and, yeah. and Samuel. I oh, always do Robert. I wondered. There were a few little Hebraisms that made me wonder, like, dude, yeah, did you Robert like. Robert Alter, otherwise known yeah. as the Yoda of Scripture, because Yo, he translates awesome. a little like Yoda at times. 
but it really <laughs> yeah. captures that. Well, because he really tries to ape the word order sometimes. Exactly. To put the emphasis where, where it is in the original. So I was like, dude, right. are you sight reading? When did you learn Hebrew like way better than no, I No, as you That's, well know, I, don't. I, I am a wonderful uh, thief of other people's work no that's that was really oh, fun yeah. i'm glad you i'm glad you brought that because i was yeah, really your listeners are interested in a good commentary and oh my translation of i like his psalms and first and second samuel the best the story yeah. of david is what it's called it's called the story uh, although, of david i recommend it very highly the pentateuch yeah. is good too but that that i feel like is good but the psalms and first and second samuel are the, are the money for yeah the first and second samuel I love the commentary in the in the Psalter. I'm not as big of a fan of the translation as I am of his first and second Samuel translation, which is just, I mean, it reads like a novel, which is how it should be. You know, it's just, it's so riveting. Yeah. It's so great. Anyway, you, yeah. were, you were saying something important. Oh yeah. I just, I heard, so that was all preface, typical me, but I was hearing a lot of that repetition of look, look, right. look, or CCC. Yeah. And I noticed one in particular that I had never heard before that I think is a translation choice in 16 verse one. And that was kind of my initial reaction yeah. today was hearing you translate. Let's see it. So it's verse one towards the end of verse one when he says, sorry, I'm just turning there. I've got my See Yes. Among his sons, a king. Yes. That was what really struck me. And I just wanted to look at it. Now I have, I'm with, with Greek, I can mostly just track it myself, but I've got my blue, I've got my Bible hub out here and glancing at for Hebrew. So the verb here is, let's see, ra'iti, ra'iti, it's a soft T, so th, so ra'i. And what I wanted, and it's trans, I mean, the, my interlinary here on Bible hub is saying, I have provided for myself among his sons, a King. That's how the NRSV that I have out. That's how most translates translations do it. I want to see if that is the same verb then in verse six, right? Because I'm guessing, although Alter might have a little comment on why he chose to do it that way, that might be worth sharing to our listeners. If you still have yeah, it so he says that. Uh, let me just read it. Do it. Uh, the verb to see ra that you mentioned, followed by the preposition, which I think is the thee, uh, has an idiomatic sense of to provide, but it's essential to preserve the literal meaning because this entire episode's built on the repetition of yep. the thematically weighted word to see which is yep. ra just as a previous one was about listen. So, oh yeah, yeah. When Sam, when, Chapter when Saul does all that crazy s- stuff. Yeah. in 15, it's about, listening, that is great. It's all about seeing. So he acknowledges that the idiom there, you know, that the dynamic equivalence would be to say provided for, but we have that even, we have that idiom in English. We have the phrase, see to it that. Right. Right. Um, we even have it in the phrase oversee, which doesn't mean just to look. It means to take responsibility for it's hidden in the word provide, which comes from Latin, uh, which is to see before we, you can see it though. Pro is before and the ID is video, Right. right? To see. So even the language of providence, if you read medieval commentators on the doctrine of providence, they will, because of course, to them, this was their actual everyday That's heart nice. language. They yeah. would identify, oh, well, to provide, it means to See what a advanced. father is supposed to do is to anticipate the needs and plan accordingly. That's what it means to be, because providence is linked to provider. It's, it's, it's the thing that the word has an ancient history of the Potter familias. That's what a father is supposed to do for a family is to be provident. It only later became a sort of theologically weighted word. Um, and then to kick that even deeper, if you couple that with where God clarifies to Samuel the quality of his seeing is the quality of his in your words there yes is with the heart not outward appearance <laughs> you could say that, that the provision of God the providence of God is not, according not to just according to appearances <laughs> yes oh it is with the heart or even into yeah. our hearts what we need which then makes me want to 
strongly endorse Alter's choice, even though it makes for slightly awkward English. Very awkward. But you could do it. You could say I mean, what I would have, my pushback. So I endorse his, his desire to highlight the repetition. You could try to use the idiom and say, I have seen to it. Oh, that's a good way to do it. That's right. Translation. I have yeah. seen to it that a king for myself is avail- is among the sons, right? You could, you, could, you could make it work so that it actually sounds like idiomatic English. Mm. Not to not to pick on Alter, he's the master. I'm the <laughs> we're the we're the. But you know, at each case, you can you can push back on the master. You're the you're the student. I'm the, just the consumer <laughs> because I bought this book. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I think it's so true. Yeah, I, I think that that's where if you were to develop the well, I'm getting ahead of ourselves because I know you like talking about developing content for it. But at least in my own personal, reading, say it. Yeah. To say God, um, to use the providence perspective you brought up there, which is, I think, helpful, that God's seeing to it, in your words, that he's gone ahead of me and knows where I need to go and who I need to be looking at because he's already looked and he's looked That's right. with the heart, not with appearances as, as I am so inclined to do. And all, all of us, all mankind. Mm-hmm. looks with appearances and he looks for the heart. Yeah. Well, that's huge. No, it's okay to anticipate. And I mean, with that, I say we take a break and then come back and, and dig in even deeper. Hello, this is Eric Fisher and I am one of the producers for Fresh Text. I have enjoyed partnering and collaborating with both Todd Bashong as well as your host, John Drury, not just on this show, but in friendship for over 20 years. And so when John came to me and Todd and said, I've got this idea for a podcast, I said, great. And he said, now how do I do it? And and so we walked him through it. We've been working with him the whole time. Obviously, his talents lay in the scholarly and speaking area, but we bring all the technical know-how. And so we're here to ask if you would be willing to support the show financially so that as the show grows and as our needs grow for different technical pieces of equipment or honestly just to defray the cost of our time and effort, that you would partner with us in this ministry as well. So we've made it super easy for you to do that. Just go to paypal.me slash fresh text podcast or go to the show notes. There's a link there that you can click to do that as well. Again, that's paypal.me slash fresh text podcast and any amount you can give will be greatly appreciated thank you so much and we'll see you in the rest of the episode and we're back welcome back to fresh text i'm your host john drury i'm here with david drury second time guest and longtime friend and uh, brother and fellow uh, pastor scholar and student of the word and longtime devotee of first and second Samuel and the story of his namesake, David. And I'm also I, I a have, longtime subscriber to Fresh Text. I'm a ah, yes. Reminder, I love, right? love listening to it. Very Subscribe helpful. and share. <laughs> I think I've been into David longer, but yeah. Yeah. Well, when, when I was planning out the, the Lent text uh, series and was playing matchmaker in terms of repeat guests, you immediately, boom, came to mind. I'm like, I'd love to have you on to talk for Samuel well, since you're I do a, love, I do oh, love I've Samuel. learned, I've always learned Which, by so the way, much about this, these stories from you. You talked in the earlier section about the audio and you can listen to all of first Samuel in about three hours and 40 minutes. If you oh. listen to the audio Bible, I didn't know it was that short. Um, yeah. Just, just for Samuel. A lot of people Which read First best. Samuel and then they don't move on to Second Samuel, and that takes about a similar amount of time because they're really all one book. Really, uh, that's just true. divided because they're they're pretty long texts. But um, it, so like if the, the next the next eight hour car ride you have, like next time you're driving a couple states over oh. or a couple countries over in Europe or wherever, I would suggest just listening to the whole thing all at once because it's totally different experience when you listen oh, to the audio. It's a whole nother level. Of the whole thing. I know my son did it one time, one summer when he was mowing lawns and he listened to the entire book of Samuel in one day. 
Uh, it was wow. just a full work. It well, it's one work day, day because you're yeah, right. One work day mowing lawns. And Eight he hours. just loved it. It opened up the, the, the book of Samuel in a totally different way. So I'm an endorser of your audio experience. Yeah. And well, in a parallel, course, the Bible to, app has that audio feature right in it in multiple built language. right in. Uh, a parallel to that is we mentioned Alter. So Robert Alter has a translation of First Sex Samuel called Story of David that we already mentioned, but it's like published. It looks like a paperback novel that you would buy at Barnes and Noble. Right. It's that vibe, and the text is nice and big. You don't feel like you're reading the Bible when you read it. It's a really great vacation read, actually, because eight hours is about is about. I mean, you're actually kind of just, it's about the length of a, of a novel that you would read on the beach over a couple of days and not feel like you're, quote, studying the Bible. And speaking of First Sex Samuel, you mentioned your kids. I mean, from both our experience as kids, as well as my own parenting experience, like, honestly, I think First Sex Samuel is just the way to get your kids into the Bible. It is like mm-hmm. the best entry point. It's got everything. Yeah, totally. It's narrative. It's exciting. Yeah. It's it's intergenerational dynamics. It's right. very, it's just very natural. The action Bible, which is the comic book Bible. Yes. Uh, yes. It's very, very good. Of course, you and I know the picture Bible. Yeah. But which it's is kind older of and a little more, a little more, a uh, little more tame, but the action Bible is awesome. Cause I mean, you got super you know, bloody. Yeah. Right. Totally. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. as the stories it's, are, yeah, right. it's, it's David as Aragorn basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of which, this is then his uh, origin story. Uh, if David as a hero, um, and actually it's okay to think of it that way because for the original writers and hearers and editors of these sorts of texts, both as spoken and as handed on and then written down stories about David would have been already familiar. He would have been a known quantity. And so this would have the, and even even variants of this story may have been kind of known. So then, you know, nice. it's, it's, it's like how every Batman story point. has to have the, the parents yeah, dying the, at the beginning. The prequel, prequel origin story of how we get David. Yeah. Who, yeah. And you can even as large as Luke Skywalker. Yes. Right? He's just, uh, every kid's heard of this, heard exactly. of this guy. Right. So this is going in deeper into the background. And as is often the case in origin stories in the modern world of heroes, his origins are intertwined with the story, the early story of his own nemesis. So yeah. the story of Saul's kind of last straw just immediately precedes this in chapter right. 15. And that's not accidental. You know, their this is the are, Lord's response. There's hardly two, two kings in all of history that were more enmeshed yeah. than David and Saul. Yeah, and which makes the stories. opening line very striking, which was one that really hit me in this fresh read. I mean, so like I looked up the text, went and glanced at what it was when I was planning. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when David gets anointed. Yeah. Man, God looks on the heart. Yada, yada. (laughs) Then when I started preparing for our conversation today, I noticed that like David doesn't show up to like the last couple verses. Yep. And And he doesn't say anything. Yep. And even the whole, and even the sequence. Now I knew there was some buildup because all the sun's coming through, but even that doesn't start till verse six. There's this whole, the Saul dynamic dominates the first right. five verses in a way that was new for me. Right. He's um, going to kill him if he learns about this. This is a palace intrigue and revenge. Yeah. The violent Saul is already a thing. So is that all that's going on? And I'm not fishing. I, I'm curious because of the sense of the whole. Because like you said, I've never done the eight hour thing. I, I'm going to do it now. This challenge gets me excited. I actually have about an exactly, almost exactly eight hour drive coming up over to Kansas city. So I might try it, but this line uh, in two, when Samuel as a objection to God's command, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. Is this the, just the, the, the palace intrigue of like a threatening uh, usurper King? He's already a, a spear thrower apparently. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. Yes. He's already a, a violent, Man, and then of course he the when jealous they, king when right. the, the the people in Bethlehem are also terrified by just Samuel showing up. So okay, maybe that I never regime, saw before. Yeah, maybe yeah. the whole regime is a terror. Uh, maybe it's kind of a terror king already. Yeah, so I could not make I could not make heads or tails of verse four. Preparing today, yeah, do, do you come in peace? Like why? Why is that a question? I mean, I immediately turned my maps 
in the back of my Bible to see like maybe Bethlehem was outside of Saul's territory and a little bit of research. No, it's, it's right in the heart of it. I understood the Saul part, but the, the fear, like you said, it implies that maybe that Samuel is associated with Saul. And so he would be a threatening presence. I, I don't know. How, how did you take that? Well, I took it as he, he's definitely a part of the court. He's part of Saul's court hmm. now. And all of the things that, in a way, it's a payoff of the earlier warning that God says to Samuel. Yes. Yeah. Right? Where, so if somebody's preaching th- through Samuel, you'll want to point that out and bring out the fact that God said, hey, he'll take your sons, you know, uh, yep. as warriors. He'll take your horses. He'll take your daughters as wives. I think that was the list. It was like a whole list yeah. of things that God's like, he's going to take that. And so there's this sense of which you, if you want a king, that means you want a tyrant. Power corrupts. Uh, yep. And apparently, I, w- I just took it as, okay, not about Samuel as much as it is about the regime. That makes that makes perfect sense. And then I, I don't know, I'd have to do more research, but I wonder if come in peace, the alternative wouldn't have to mean I'm coming here to punish you, but it could even literally mean I'm coming with news of war and I need to take all your sons. You know what I mean? Like it could just be coming with bad news. But oh, that's a great insight. I don't know yeah, if that I don't know true. how the phrase is used um, in the ancient world, but it is interesting that in the previous, looking back just a couple verses into chapter 15, verse 34, after that kind of final showdown with Samuel and Saul and the Lord, then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went to his house in Gibeah. So they're already kind of, there is at least a little bit of distance. It's interesting, this could end up playing into sermonic possibilities, but I think Samuel perceives the distance between him and Saul right now, but the people in Bethlehem do not. Mm-hmm. As far as they're concerned, he's a representative of Saul. He's the tip of, the, of Saul's spear. Mm-hmm. And I think that's relevant even to his leadership. He might not think, he might think of Saul as the threat, you know, to everybody. That's, we know he thinks that way, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, but, these people, the Bethlehemites are terrified of this guy. And it, and it, it, it brings an, 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 a level of intensity and irony that I hadn't ever noticed before in verse, uh, where is it? In verse 11, another phrase I never really noticed before. When they say, oh, there's one more. I, I've always heard that. But I never noticed Samuel saying to Jesse, send and bring him. We will not sit down until he comes here. So, which I think Alter rightly catches the idiom, meaning we won't have, we won't sit down to eat until he comes here. In other words, we're not having dinner, <laughs> you know, uh, until he comes in here. It's this very kind of, yeah. and, they're at, and they're at some kind of uh, sacrifice. And at a, most sacrifices, you would eat the, the food. Um, there's only occasional whole burnt sacrifice where you wouldn't, you know. Right. And it's um, very impertinent that he says this because remember, it's not like he sent in advance saying, gather all your sons. I need to see <laughs> That's them. good. So it's, <laughs> so it's not as though, it's not as though Jesse like did, did something wrong. And Samuel's like, well, Hey, I told you to bring all your sons before me. He's supposedly right. just doing a sacrifice. Jesse happened to purify all of the sons that were in town. It's not like they're going to send somebody to get the son that's out with the sheep. So it seems a little odd that he says this. I, I'm sure it, it created a stir. Why are we mm. all waiting? And of course, probably the seeds of Eliab's later mocking of David start ah. then. They start with Eliab and the boys saying, now we're all going to have to wait for David uh, because Samuel just out of the sky uh, decided we're not even going to eat without him, much less. I mean, it's one thing that they didn't you know, get anointed. It's a whole other thing that they made them all wait for David. Really a weird scene. It is a super weird scene. I mean, because the story is told from Samuel's perspective, because we get his inner kind of interactions with the Lord and everything that I think growing up, at least for me, 
this has always been the scene of picking the one of the sons. And to be honest, I may have heard a sermon, perhaps by our father. I don't know if he preached a sermon on this or not, but I have a memory of a sermon as a kid that uh, operates with the assumption that Jesse knows what's going on. Like well, he does say, but it's, to, like, it's apparently it's, says ahead. to him, like this is not the one who's chosen. So I don't know whether that's his inner monologue or whether he really says that to Jesse. Yeah, I I, I took that to be. Uh, a sort of uh, a hidden one, but maybe not. Anyway, you were yeah. So maybe Jesse knows. It. No, no, it was only that. It was a, it was opening up the possibility that they're being blindsided. This because as Samuel's says in verse two, like he says, "How can I go?" Which could you know, and and the Lord's response is, "Oh, take a heifer and say like the Lord provides a pretext." <laughs> I did, right. Which is, I'm not used to thinking of the Lord providing uh, pretexts for Here's your excuse. To... <laughs> but it's classic. It is classic. Uh, I know. Whenever I need an excuse, I take a heifer. It's sort of just a little. It's a little get out jail free oh, card. Why, why did Why did David Drury show up to town? Well, he's got a heifer. <laughs> okay, I gotta say to our listeners, like. I am trying to manage something I don't do in any context other than on the radio. I'm trying to manage the sheer volume of my laughter. Um, <laughs> like, so I'm, I'm doing this kind of like whisper laugh and holding my hand over my mouth because no one makes me giggle more than my brother. <laughs> We're, we, we both have all the same experiences and the same, <laughs> same humor notes. So yeah. It's not just that. You are actually extremely funny. <laughs> um <laughs> anyway uh but yeah god god gives them this pretext so i mean as far as they know they're here for some kind of sacrifice and i mean think of ancient world think of ancient religion as this very um sacrificially centric practice i mean you know we 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 act in the modern world as if like we're the first people to find religion strange you know what i mean but like i'm pretty sure ancient agrarian yeah. and, they, and maybe they, even that's their all, they don't know what's going on they're all yeah, maybe, they're, thumb, maybe like, they're just afraid of him because he's a, a seer he's a prophet yeah. he's a, a miracle worker he's a and a priest a at of, that too yeah he's like like so he's like a, i like i would feel meeting a witch doctor yes yes like maybe yes, that's how they yeah. see him as this well sort and, of and there's no ex- weirdo there's no to go along with that there's no explicit reference to the Urim and Thummim in this chapter, but there it does appear in the previous uh, in fourteen, I believe the the Urim and Thummim. You know the the little dice or what are those? Are those the name of the heifers? I don't remember. <laughs> you know, I know. I'm just messing. But, uh, yes, <laughs> the little like dice or sticks or something that would have been in the priests, which is uh, which is very are, kind of. The divination uh, kind of ish thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that was better than what I was going to say. It, it 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 does have a little bit of that say? weird weird. It, it feels a little witch doctory. Yeah, it feels yeah. a little like superstitious feeling, like the kinds of accoutrements yep. a holy man that's doing something outside of this world would use. That's mystical. That's mysterious. That mystical, people don't understand. Definitely. That's right. And it's possible. It doesn't say, but it's not implausible to me that that that's being used when the, uh, when the, when the men come in. Right. But not that anyone knows how to interpret them because it's not predetermined, which, and, right. and that, that the Lord could be. So, so I sense a kind so of, you have to have Elaine Bernius on to do this chapter next time. A year, well, two, four, four years from now, because she actually did her dissertation on that. I think on the, on the Urim and Thummim. I think. Yeah. 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 I, I wonder if there is, whether there would be rabbinic uh, debate about whether those would have been used in this scene or not. You know, that, that's a fun question, actually. Mm. Um, I think for us as modern readers, we kind of immediately go to the kind of inner dialogue picture. Right. Um, and, and rightly so, insofar as uh, Yahweh speaks uh, directly to, it says the Lord said to Samuel, verse seven, right? So, yeah. so there is a verbal interaction. But I was thinking more about what, how it, how this is being experienced by the family and the whole town. Yeah, Cause I think it's like, it appears to be a kind of, um, you know, invite Jesse to the sacrifice. The Lord says in verse three, and I will show you what to do. 
So he knows that Jesse's the focus. So Samuel did what he did, came to Bethlehem, the elders of the city. So not just Jesse, the elders. Do you come peaceably? He says, yes. Um, I've come to sacrifice. Sanctify yourselves and come to the sacrifice. So it doesn't say make sure Jesse comes and brings his sons, like you said, right? It's kind of impertinent. It really is a pretext. Again, I always pictured Samuel kind of coming to Jesse's home, you know, in a kind of modern American nuclear family kind of focus. But this seems to be maybe like town square, the whole town's there. Maybe. I don't know. I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing the scene in a way I've not before and it's helping. Well, the me. elders aren't going to show up unless it's a big deal. And, and I, I can't imagine just the elders show up. So I think your assumption is, is right. So what, what, what's this line at the end of five? Did you have a different translation on, and he sanctified Jesse and his sons? Yeah. This said, uh, Jesse purified his sons and invited them to the oh, sacrifice. But that would have been a fairly perfunctory thing of like yep. purification before. Yep. So this is just sort of like Jesus with the wash uh, at, at the water to wine, the, the wash in yep. their hands. So I'm not sure it's for them. It's a little bit more like uh, wash your hands before dinner. Exactly. Level of, and, level and, of and actually quite literally there would have been a dinner. Right. Right after, I mean, sacrifices almost is express only right. you would you would note if it's not if it's going to burn the whole thing you would highlight it otherwise. Right. A bunch of Especially, my, I, I'm always reminded in those kind of a scenes. I, I have so many Muslim friends here in Indianapolis, and they all not not only their prayer routines but their meal routines, not just the food they eat or won't eat, but even the the washing before meals is a big deal for them. Which, when you're in a Muslim country and they're all like going in and washing their feet and everything like that, you think that it's like they only do that ah. in the mosque, but like they just do that on a random Tuesday when they're going to eat their Subway sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. Without any pork, right? Uh, so they they wash, and and so it's it's interesting. It's it's a similar kind of a cultural thing. No, I think, that, and that helps then to confirm my hunch that the translations such as the one I have in front of me today that implies that, that Samuel is purifying Jesse is hmm. problematic because it, it highlights the focus on Jesse. Whereas the, uh, I think the, 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 the story is supposed to be unfolding as Jesse just happens to show up for the sacrifice with his sons, which then helps explain why one of the sons wouldn't be there. Cause they had to put somebody, I mean, it is, Hey, guess what? The, the priest is here from Rama. He's come to town. Maybe he's never been there before. Probably he's never been there before. Mm-hmm. We're having a big gathering. Everyone's coming. Interesting. And it's and David. That explains why David's stuck with the sheep because because of course at, what else might happen at a sacrifice and a big family meal? I mean, this is also when there might be some dating happening and some de- and some business deals are happening. I mean, this is not right. you know this is a a a little sort of uh, unexpected little mini festival in this town Good and. Point. And so all the more it makes sense that you'd stick the youngest with the sheep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? somebody's got to watch the sheep. <laughs> got to tend the store. Yeah. So it may have been a bit to go get him. That's this image of he, we don't get to eat till he comes. <laughs> I suddenly wanted to like imagine, I wonder how long they had to wait. What'd you mention about Eliab? He says something later with David. I forgot about the Goliath episode. um, Right. When, when David shows up uh, in in chapter 17, he, I I haven't read that in a bit, but he, Eliab, I think is the one who speaks out about, you know, about David's impertinence about saying, Hey, somebody should do something about this. And, you know, he says, what are you going to do? Shouldn't you be at home? And I think he brings up, uh, shouldn't you be tending the sheep at that point? Does he? Yes, his eldest brother, this is 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. We've looked back, now we're looking forward. His eldest brother, Eliab, heard him talking to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. He, 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 gets, he moralizes. Yep. For you have come down just to see the battle. Mm-hmm. Like, like a little boy would come and watch. Oh, yes. it's, it's probably one of the most, like, 
here as an elder brother speaking to his younger yes, brother. Yes, I have Proceed. no doubt there are moments in my life <laughs> where I've spoken to you with the spirit of Eliab. Uh, you know, what are you doing here? You don't Ugh. belong. This is for the teenagers or this is for the older people. We do have that tendency to, um, to push people down. And that may be a thread to preach of people that want to keep you down. Oftentimes that comes from some perceived slight in the past. Uh, some way in which, so Eliab, the fact that he brings up sheep is a signal, uh, perhaps, that's why I brought it up earlier. You've done it again, abandon the sheep. Yes. Uh, and by doing that, and then of course at the end, Eliab doesn't get it. By the way, how I always, I always think of Eliab when I see an Elias big boy, just for some reason, Eliab and Elias is such oh, a close. Elias the- and Eliab was the tallest, the big boy. So who's the big boy? It's Eliab's big boy. But <laughs> That's uh, great. Uh, mnemonic situation there. But no, I, I mean, I think that definitely you would not, I would not want to preach for Samuel 16 ever in isolation. Of course not. Um, yeah. Because it's so narrative, anything in, in you know, for Samuel, you can't preach in isolation very easily because they're all so interwoven with one another. And one of the key ones I just, that we haven't brought up yet, is he's anointed here, but there's still a king. Yeah. And so it yep. speaks to, um, I just was talking with a pastor on the phone before this, before this t- talk with you, who was dealing with somebody who's really the Lord's anointed in a place. Mm. And he's dealing with, you know, some jealousy and resentment of that. And then also some, some ways in which really that, that anointed leader has sinned against him, not quite thrown spears, but definitely. Uh, and so it always just comes back to me how, uh, how long David had to wait. Yeah. Uh, that, that we're here in first Samuel 16 and the spirit comes upon him in verse 13. He's anointed there in verse 13 but one of the fun things to do when you have a physical Bible in front of you, or if you've got an app just to swipe to the right, is how many chapters later, right? Oh my goodness. You have to go before he actually becomes 17, the king. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. It's and not all the way in into that book. Second Samuel. Yeah. You have to go into Second Samuel into like chapter 15 five. plus chapters, years and uh, years. And yeah, decades potentially of his life. Um, it may have been 10 to 15 years, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it, it, a couple of wives later, <laughs> he yeah. actually becomes the king. And he only becomes the king at that point because somebody else kills yep. Saul. And so that narrative is the one that's spoken to me for so much of my life, is that David, part of what made David David and why he was so close to God's heart is God chose him earlier, but early, but he was willing to wait for the actual payoff of God's promise. And so whatever it is that God's promised me or that I've sensed he's chosen me for, God doesn't, God might promise something, but not promise to do it immediately. Yeah. And well, that, part that of might... the journey is me and my character growing while waiting for God to deliver on his promise, not that I have to get the promise. And what's beautiful about that is the spirit grips David from that day onward. It doesn't say, and from that day onward, David was king. So you can have right. the spirit in my life uh, and not have the position that I want. Just like you can be in the position and have the spirit depart. Which is right? a great contrast with, yep. with Saul. Perfect. Saul, wow. Well, that might be exactly what the Lord uh, sees in David's heart and sees with his own heart. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm your host, John Drury, and I'm here with David Drury, and we're looking at 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. Now, you said just before the break, uh, Dave, that uh, you wouldn't want to preach on this text in isolation, and, and I hermeneutically agree. I would homiletically push back and say, sometimes you have to start in small chunks in order to work with people. And you may, and there are whole books of the Bible you may never get to if you're not willing to preach a one-off sermon. So understanding that then hermeneutically, interpretively, you would have to 
both in your own study as well as even explicitly in your sermon, make connections forward and backward. Nevertheless, we could take this as a good jump. And I think if you're going to pick a text in 1 Samuel as a kind of jumping off point, this one's nice because it's got both forward and backward reference uh, Amen. with Saul yeah. and David. So you can almost sure. think of this as a kind of, you know, just like if you right. preach on John 17, you can't interpret that without the whole book of John. But you, but it's actually a really nice text to get the whole message of John in one chapter. So, for sure, for sure. So just that was a little intro to say, where let's explore some sermon starters. Where where might we go with a text like this? Uh, what a maybe focus or theme mm. or question or character? Where where are you drawn? Mm. So I, I, I the first time I preached this passage was almost. <laughs> Tell me that. 25, 27 years ago. Like, was this like one of one your of the, first sermons? One of the first. And so that's ironic that you asked me to oh. do this one. And when I preached it back then, it was fresh. Basketball was a huge part of my life, as you know, yeah. uh, in high school. And But then oh, I height. had a lot of time. Uh, yeah, the height thing and thinking about choosing whenever, or even anybody that's been in a kickball field, people choose teams based <gasps> yeah. on it's like. So it's a little of that. So there's a lot of sports metaphors you can use, but the metaphor I honed in on was the idea of sitting the bench, um, which uh, I did a lot of on some good teams, but I wasn't good enough to be a starter and how you have to wait and how David sat the bench for all those wow. years. And I think that that's a, that or something like it is a way to help connect people to the idea of God's dream that's in their heart for their future and how what's key is that like we were just speaking about how David's character grew in the meantime. And that's so true for most people. And I found that really resonates with people because they don't, almost everyone feels a sense of God's anointing on their life in some way, if they're following Christ, but almost everybody also feels like there's a not yet component to that, that there's yeah. something still to come. And so that as a preacher is a great, great way to help you re- relate to uh, David, who otherwise is hard to relate to. Uh, That's true. Because he's kind of this pantheonic figure in the Bible. Uh, and, and in for Samuel, I mean, David and Goliath is perhaps the most, uh, it sounds like it was created by Hollywood. Yeah. You even get the, uh, <laughs> you even get the, uh, the Hollywood elements of, um, why origin stories then are so important because they do humanize the hero, you know, humanize the heroic as it were to give you that feeling like this could happen to anybody. It could be me. Maybe I, maybe I'm a hero. Yes. Right. right. Broom boy. Right. (laughs) Like I, I, uh, um, I mean, Luke in, in star Wars, uh, is just a guy, you know, or, uh, the, um, Harry Potter gets this really well. Right. Like I'm this alienated kid. There's nothing right. special about me. And then to find out that actually even my own alienation is a, is a function of my specialness and that, you know, I, I could right. be part of something larger and I'm powerful and didn't even know it. Uh, what's beautiful here though, that then subverts all that Hollywood stuff is that it's not actually, although there is something about David's character as things emerge, uh, though he's not certainly not perfect, you know, Everything from here on out that we know about David is rooted in the fact that it's the spirit of the Lord that gripped him. So it's not purely a matter of, you know, David's greatness. It's precisely right. the Lord's election that right. gives him his greatness. Um, yeah. And, and it, it's, he's, I mean, David is the ultimate warrior poet. I mean, he's, he's just unique in all of history and so seminal everything that comes after him has a way of cliching the David and Goliath story. Uh, that's why we call, we don't even call it a, you know, we, we call it a David and Goliath story. We turn right. literal it's, names it's the name, into right. verbs. The, and so I feel like one of the things that's important, I mean, one of the cool things about being a preacher when you get a text like this is first Samuel is way too much spiritual content for Hollywood to ever get this book right. Ah. But it's way too much sex and violence for, for Christians, for to, Christians Christian to get it right about it. <laughs> so the beauty is every preacher that gets their hands on this, Man. you have sort of like a 
you, you, you have the corner on this market. You get to through your sermon. That's a good um, insight. Communicate this amazing story and include, you know, the spiritual content and the sex and the violence. Cause you're yeah. not going to be showing it on screen. You're going to be talking about it in ways that are appropriate for the audience in ways that are pretty compelling. I mean, hmm. if you can't preach this, I mean, this is up there with, you know, the crucifixion and resurrection as like, <laughs> there's so much here. How can you not preach this well? Uh, like, this is a great, it's good I started with this because it probably made me think I was a better preacher than I was. <laughs> That's so a good insight. Here. It's a when? great starter thing. Yeah. The, yeah. Don't start with Job and Ecclesiastes <laughs> if you're a preacher. Start with First well, Samuel the, 16. The rap, I don't remember the the specific years on this, but I know that, I don't know about Job, but I'm guessing it would be on this list too. The rabbis had these rules about how old you had to be before you did deep study of the certain right. prophets and writings. And I believe Ezekiel was, actually, I got it right here, I, a commentary that referenced this. I remember that Song of Songs was very late. Like you had Song to of Songs, eight. I think, is the latest it was, one. It was PG-13, and, you know, because breasts like fawns. Yeah, it's Song of That's, Songs and... Uh, the uh, Ezekiel and Job and uh, Ecclesiastes were all these kind right. of, you got to be Word. a little more mature yeah. before you get to these. Although on a, yeah, I'm not going to find it quick enough to be, to make it worth it, but you get the point. Um, and I'm sure that, I mean, and some of this is literally, you know, some of the darkest stories in scripture that we turn into little kids stories. David and Goliath is one of those. There's literally a beheading. Like I know in, Hollywood, like when there's a beheading, that's like an R. Like it, it, yeah, you have to turn the camera away, right? The right. Last like, second. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and whereas, like, there's little kids' books, right, of David yeah. and Goliath. And so I don't know how, how they've done that. Uh, Noah's another one that's like the most horrible thing it's that's so happened in the entire the picture, Bible. The picture of looks, God, but it's got animals. So it's yes. Good, yeah. So well, it's kind of ironic. No, but, but it's, I think, it's funny. It's funny because, uh, interestingly, just to confirm this. Um, in rule of the rule of St. Benedict, which I've been studying this year deeply, it's uh, in preparation to teach on it this May. And there's a reference, I can't remember that which chapter, but it discusses when you do reading at night with the monks to only read, if you're going to read from the Old Testament, only from the first six books. Because after that, it gets a little too, it's too, uh, because, because there's too much sex and violence and it'll keep the monks up. <laughs> Mm. and tempt them <laughs> mm. which i just think is great <laughs> that it's like he's already like already in the early centuries of christianity they're realizing yeah. these are better for the morning so they read old testament in the sure. morning right <laughs> but i mean just well, this I, is all just confirming this insight that that these stories have a a, a a real earthy and uh dramatic quality to them that makes them i mean like to me it, i i know we're kind of talking about sermon starters but i'm kind of like especially if you're doing a one-off, like just tell the whole story. It's pretty good. Like it doesn't need a ton of help <laughs> uh, and tell the backstory, then tell this part and then take it into the future. And the, the issue is more the theme that, hi- that, right. that hides it all together. And that it gives you your principle of selectivity. You want to focus on the seeing, right. And how Samuel was a, a prophet who's supposed to see he's a seer, um, yep. but he doesn't see right. How the Lord sees, and maybe the way that Jesse sees Eliab, maybe how yep. Eliab sees David. Like I think just a seeing theme, yeah. And then play with that before you and can after. Do a That's twenty twenty thing. A lot of people are doing that with twenty twenty, uh, being. Oh, of course, year. yeah. It's twenty twenty of kind of vision <laughs> and seeing. I, I think some of it is um, you could do the see thing, which is so prevalent throughout, and and the seeing with the heart see with the heart is a good little phrase there or into the heart. I, I, one of the ways I think, you know, this from me, I often try try to think of who is the listener of the sermon? Who am I helping them relate to? So which sandals am I putting them into? Okay. And so some of what you just did there was that Samuel, Eliab, Saul, David, Shama, Jesse, all these different characters. Um, I also think you could spend the entire thing to focus on one. Like you could spend a whole yeah. sermon just on Eliab. You could break up for Samuel 16, one through 13, just from Eliab's perspective and then pop into 17 and bring that in about yeah. the part that you read earlier. 
and um, back to Saul, up, how he was the yes. tallest. So there's totally. a Saul connection. And the and strong right language from, from the Lord, do not look at his appearance or do not you know, stare at, it's, that's a different verb there. Do not stare at or dwell on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. I mean, that may be, that might imply something more than it needs to, but it's clear that God is saying, I've passed over him. Right, he is not the elected one, as if to say, I've already rejected, I've already passed over that kind of leader. I'm looking for something else now. You know, well, and the words used the way Alter translates it is cast him aside, and this may be nice. related to your Urim and Thurim thing. Of I don't even know if that that's part of it. Like he's he's this cast away. I don't know how that works, but. I think it's kind of hard to not choose David as the one, though, to speak to, uh, just because everybody's going to love to hear about David. I think if I was preaching and helping a, a listener connect to David, I would want to th- think about their dreams. What are the things God's called them to? Yeah. And then get into the idea of God anointing you for something. And then talk about how anointing and filling are two different things. So in the same verse, he's anointed with oil, so he's chosen. God can ah. choose you for something. But a separate thing is that the, the, the spirit grips him. From, and not mm-hmm. just then. We have these moments where Saul is filled with the spirit. But with David, we get this sense that he's filled with the spirit from that day forward. There's this consistency yep. of his spirit being filling. But then what I said earlier about how the anointing and the filling are also not connected to the position. Yep. That actually yep. supposedly the anointing is about and supposedly the filling would be preparing him for. And then none wow. of that is connected to what you might call either the credit or the esteem of his peers, which would be his brothers. So he doesn't even get that. Even though he's anointed and filled with the spirit, his brothers still don't care about him. So the people pleasers in us, you know, sometimes want to get the credit of our peers uh, the praise of our peers. So that, that'd be the way I think most people would want to be, if they're like, which character do you want to relate to? They would want to relate to David. And so I think it's kind of tempting to just say, let's talk about David and put everybody in the shoes of David. The same. Yeah, it's so tricky. It, it, and that's a, that's a context thing. It's kind of like, if you're preaching to a, it, some of it's about a biblical literacy thing. So I have, true. you've heard me talk about this, about how I, have offered a, a gentle, I hope, critique of a lot of Christmas and Easter preaching that tries to find the new twist that forgets that this is this is a, such a high guest Sunday that new twist is the is not helping. You're the only one who's bored with this exciting thing. Uh, tell tell just tell us the thing again. It's so awesome. Incarnation, resurrection. These are really great events and with deep significance. I mean, bring enough twists so that you can enjoy it. But man, don't worry about all the people who were here last week and are going to be here next week. This you is your chance to spread the gospel. And story is the David and Goliath story, and, and right. So that's why I was saying origin. it. Right. So if your liter, if your sense of the biblical literacy in your in your churches is on the lower end, right. man, like focus on David. Having said that, if you're in a congregation or a community, maybe you're doing a teaching of some kind where there's a little bit more familiarity, then the twist becomes really powerful to focus on Eliab or right. Samuel. I know for me, I really resonate with Samuel because he's so focused on discernment and his failures of discernment are very, that draws me. Right. But again, that's me reading into my own kind of leadership and the kind of leadership that I exercise. And for you as an older brother, there's obvious connection to Eliab <laughs> and wanting to know what it means to uh, to be an older brother. So like, I, I, you got to recognize what, and that's always a tricky thing with preaching too. I, I've had lots of conversations along these lines, especially with another Dave, who's my brother-in-law about like, where you talk about like, you got to preach kind of, you got to preach from the heart. You got to let yourself be affected by the sermon as you're preparing. But at the same time, sometimes the thing that I feel is right for the community might be very different than what's really clicking with me and how to kind of manage that. Does that make sense? You know, so I might get jazzed about this Eliab twist, but it might not be what's right for my people. And that's just a judgment call. And I hope we've helped our listeners a little bit with thinking through that for themselves, you know? Yeah. And and feeding off of a thing you said earlier, you talked about um, 
how you, you might be preaching this in isolation. And so just to echo that one idea to throw out there of how to preach this, you used the phrase origin story earlier, mm-hmm. and you could do a whole series of origin stories. <laughs> Ooh, uh, yeah. and, and you could just hit, instead of the whole life of somebody like Elisha, you would just talk about when wow. Elijah shows up and, you know, puts the mantle on him and kind of, uh, you could do this one. This is the origin story for David, the origin story. Well, let's sketch the series of, right now on of, air. <laughs> so, well, Moses, Moses is a great yep. one, right? We're at the burning yep. bush. Uh, you, that's a winner. And every wow. single one in the entire book of judges is a great origin. Story. Right, 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 right. Right. John the Baptist. Yes. Great origin story. Paul, Mary, Paul, Saul, right at the, Paul, at the coats. Yeah, Saul. Yes. Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, Peter, of course, right? Cause the gospels read as much as origin stories of the disciples as they do. Again, those characters would have loomed large for those earlier writers and hearers. Mm-hmm. Those were famous men to, to the, to within a small, not, not nationally famous the way David was, but they would have been a uh, subculture famous amongst Christians. Wow. You know what? It's just hitting me. So this is, I, I, I usually am withholding of the larger lectionary context uh, for my guests because I don't want to draw attention to it. If they happen to either a not be lectionary preachers and B, I don't actually really care about the lectionary. It's just more of a way to make it. So I'm not picking the text based on my favorites. Uh, but the series that we're in here is in Lent and they actually are all origin stories. So week one was, uh, I had Miranda Cruz on and it was, uh, it's Genesis uh, three. It's the, it's the Adam and Eve, right? So it's like our, all our, and then uh, Abraham chapter 12 of Genesis with Sarah Dirk origin story. Then this week, now the third one is, and it's Ezekiel 37 with Sophia Fasua. That's next week. And it was, it, we already recorded it. That's if a there's killer episode. It's a killer episode. Or not yeah. into an origin story. It's probably Sophia. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, uh, but of course, this is in hindsight for, for building. What I'm thinking of is how great of a Christmas series build up to Christmas this would be. Right. With then Christmas as the, right. the final origin story of Jesus. Exactly. Right. But you could do a series that would be nice. building up to that. That could be really fun. Right. You know, or even, you know, a lot of churches just to do some summer, summertime. Yeah. They, they Great summer series. A, uh, they try to do sermons that are a little more one-offs that are not so right. interdependent to one another because people tend to miss more in the summer. Uh, so you can so miss and you'll be okay. But there's exactly. something that um, would be a good so, summer series. You could do 12 and you end up doing the whole Bible. Exactly. Through these sel- carefully selected. Right. And it's a now nice way is, to cut the Gordian the audience knot. audience is important yeah. there because you're going to have to have some presumption that people understand what Moses did later and what Abraham did later and what David did later. So, you, again, you're not going to probably want to do a story like that in isolation for people that, that are not your regular attenders. So, I, yeah. I, 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 that's the one way in which Christmas Christmas is just a great time for newcomers. And so sometimes it might be harder to do that at, at Christmas time, uh, unless you tie it, you know, you, unless you're doing all Jesus stuff for the month of December. Yeah, yeah, just as a bill. I think the summer idea is better. I like you that. Could that's do a all good. Of the, all that's of a good gospels idea. Origins, though, you know, because you could do John the Baptist, you could do Mary, you yep. could do Jesus origin, which would be a natural Advent people. series anyway. It would be that would yeah. be natural. But I kind of like that summer idea because it, it's a way of mixing the one, like like you said, with a lot of churches have transitioned to summer series being a little more uh, like you say, a little bit more one-off and you actually can do longer series because people don't right. get tired of it. Cause they're not there every week as much. You could even go um, hog wild and use some super, you know, um, some superhero type uh, uh, look to everything. Well, I mean, Graphic it'd be fun to even, go it'd be wild. fun to even just think through which superhero does each character loosely correspond to or what, you know what I mean? You could dress them up that way, you know? Um, I'm sure that's a whole other, other level of nerdiness someone's already done on the internet. So that's correct. Well, with that in mind though, so uh, I guess David would be, I mean, it seems to me that uh, I don't know if David is, is Batman, but if he is like Samuel does make a very nice uh, Alfred, right? He's kind of this <laughs> <laughs> uncle figure, <Nice>. you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. 
So who's his Robin? Oh, that's fun. Is that Jonathan? That's fun. One of his mighty men. Or what, what's his, uh, who, yeah, what's one of the, John, it would be one of the mighty men. Well, I was thinking about the, I thought of Batman earlier because of the intertwinedness of David and Saul, you know, and how the kind of Batman Joker thing is always, yeah. there's this yeah. kind of pairing. But man, we've definitely alienated a, a, a good portion of our audience. Uh, but you know what? It's, I'm not a comic book nerd, so I don't really know all the different ins and outs. But uh, yeah, I'm sure well, somebody you, out there might might be able to do it. I think in general, it's it's again that thought of who, how do you connect the hearers of a sermon to relate yeah. to a certain character. Um, I, I already think that it's important to do that in the New Testament, but with, with the Old Testament, particularly the narrative books like this, it's such a win to be able to help people understand yeah. the story and and put feel like they're in it. Yeah, I always feel like the Old Testament is culturally more, at first glance, culturally more distant from us, but practically and relationally more immediately relevant because it's more about just actual ordinary life of, you know, Amen. sex and violence and power and, you know, this stuff that's not as on the surface in the new because it's it's over, you know, two generations Older. rather than… Yeah. Uh, uh, thousands of generations. Game of, Game of Thrones ain't got nothing on First and Second Samuel, <laughs> First and Second Kings, man. That, 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 that's he was copying. Uh, that's well. I think that's probably a good place to end. <laughs> I hope we've encouraged our listeners. Uh, half of what we said during our preaching time was basically, if you don't like this and can't preach on it with ease, what's wrong with you? Which isn't the most helpful thing, I suppose. But but you opened right out of the gate with your first sermon. Did I hear you preach that at like Central Wesleyan when I was in high school? I have was no it idea. that old? I, well, didn't you used to talk about how it was when you ago. scored a point, it was in the paper and you cut that and it was cut out by your my mom? I don't remember and I hope all recordings have been burned. <laughs> no. Sitting the bench though, that's a, I mean, we gave somebody a sermon. They just need to steal that old sermon of yours. Uh, and the so lining up now, and selecting. They don't selecting. need to give credit. It's so old. Exactly. It's, oh, it's in, the, steal it's in the public domain. Steal away. Yeah, we, we regard that as public domain now. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks so much for giving an hour, over an hour of time me. to me and to the text and to our listeners. And, yeah, and we'll just end with saying a big thank you to uh, Todd and to Eric for all their production work. Thanks to our listeners, as always, for subscribing and sharing. And thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And with that said, we'll say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>